Welcome to the Public Sector Marketing Show, a podcast for government and public sector marketing professionals who want to level up their digital marketing and social media knowledge, skills, and strategic thinking. And now, welcome your host, Joanne Sweeney. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Public Sector Marketing Show. Today I'm talking about social media and risk. It's one of the biggest talking points when it comes to public sector and government embracing social media fully. But also, what about the mitigating factors? How can we prevent risk? I'm all about embracing risk, but also planning for it. Because if you don't, then what will happen is you will be paralyzed by that fear. So coming up in this episode, the risks that you might face on social media, how to manage risk in the right way within your public sector organization, the tools and software that can help you. And I speak to social media risk experts and technologists, Nicola Byrne and Sarah Holland from RiskEye about how their software and human capabilities are serving organizations all over the world to help prevent and mitigate risk. In today's column, I'm suggesting that it's too late to talk about whether you should be embracing social media. That boat has passed. There are more people in the world who are using social media than aren't. So the balance has shifted and social media is now mainstream communications, a fundamental way in which we communicate among family, friends, workplaces, work colleagues, but also our engagement with government and public sector agencies. Let me remind you of the 2019 McKinsey report that stated that one of the reasons that government and public sector agencies are falling down compared to private sector when it comes to great customer experience and customer service online is that there's a suggestion, well, the research says that you have a monopolistic mindset, that you are dictating how the public can engage with you. If COVID has taught us anything, it's that the public are really leaning into social media and messaging apps in order to access public services. And in a recent conversation with health representatives from India, they have been using WhatsApp almost exclusively to communicate with citizens throughout the pandemic and to encourage them to take the vaccine. So again, we've got many, many examples and case studies where social media has stepped into a communication void for good. So if it's too late to be having conversations about if you should be embracing social media fully within your public sector agency, what conversations then should you be having about risk? So I want to talk about that for a minute or two. What are the risks that public sector agencies are likely to face when stepping up your activity on social media? Well, the first is saying something wrong. Now, what I mean by wrong is inaccurate or perhaps releasing information a little bit too soon or releasing contradictory information. So that's always a big fear. What if we say something wrong on social? Well, if you do, the best approach is to correct the record and apologize. Another risk factor from public sector's perspective on social media is trolling and abuse. And I spoke about this 
in a previous episode. And really, you need to have nailed down your rules of engagement when you your staff are put front of social networks and then facing the public. They need to feel confident and safe in the approach and the guidance give it, given to them by their employing organisation. Another risk that you might face on social media is the risk of criticism and critique. And guess what? That is inevitable. Let's face it. But you know what? Russell Lollisher from the uh, Ministry of Transportation in British Columbia said at the summit, lean into the comments, lean into the criticism. Chris Shung from Mountain View Police in California agreed with Russell on the same panel discussion and said, you know, that criticism, that crit critique might be well-founded, it might be well-placed, but you cannot and should not ignore it. You need to really understand where that upset, upset is coming from. So a final risk that public sector pros will face on social media is the risk of showing up and then not showing up. That for me is a big one. The lack of consistency on social media is something that's going to keep you more separated from the public when all the while you're trying to build trust and move the public into a specific action. It also is going to harm you in terms of your organic reach and how the algorithms are responding to your frequency and your consistency on the social networks. But hey, of course, there are dozens of other risks that you can think about. But my point is in this show is that you can always mitigate risk. You can always plan for risk and you can always overcome the results of that risk when it happens. Level up your digital skills by taking our diploma in digital marketing, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code DIGITALMARKETING20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. In today's consulting segment, I'm sharing five steps that you can take to mitigate risk on social media. Step number one is have a plan. Have you mapped out the possible risks or crises that you might face on social media? You should have done it as part of your crisis PR plan in any case, and then you can apply it to your social media plan. So really understanding where the risks are and how you might mitigate them, but also how you might respond to them. Secondly, you need a social media use policy. You need to understand how your organization, department, agency, and the staff within it are going to engage on social. So, you know, how often are you on social media? What is your response rate? Where can people contact you? Can they slide into your DMs? Can they WhatsApp you from your Facebook page? Is there live chat on your website that is connected to another social media app? All of those rules of engagement must be set down in a policy. If you've established what risks in step one might appear when it comes to social media, then step three is run your risk exercises. Actually do kind of scenario-based training with your staff. Um, it might be a case where there's been a freedom of information request from a journalist that has been published by said journalist in said media outlet. And then the public are asking questions about transparency, accountability. Do we actually trust you? Can we trust you? You have to run the scenarios, not only on paper, but run them in real life. And there might be an opportunity here to do some role playing and also 
understanding how you would respond, line to t lines to take, and this will also test your communication processes more broadly. Step number four is escalation and crisis plan. So you've planned for the risk, you've tested the risk, you've mapped out and you've done your scenario training on the risk. What is the escalation plan? Who gets involved? Who steps up? And what needs to happen? How do you respond to that crisis? It's probably going to be a crisis at this stage. And what is your digital crisis response plan? And then finally, within all of this is about leveraging technology because it's impossible for any individual or, or indeed a team of individuals to be able to interpret, curate and analyze big data that is coming from the social networks. So what you have to do is you've got to build technology, the tools, the apps and the software into your systems and into your processes. And pr I promise you that will be a good friend to you. And actually, if you stick around for a little minute longer, we're going to hear from two technologists who have developed a system and a process to help organizations mitigate risk on social media. A one-stop shop digital marketing and social media resource. Join our membership academy for 12 months. Access a library of how-to videos, template strategies, and organizational policies. Monthly live coaching. Attend webinars with subject matter experts. Meet and network with public sector pros from across the world. Use the code MEMBERSHIP20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. In today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by the team from RiskEye. Chairperson Nicola Byrne and CEO Sarah Holland. RiskEye's mission is to make the online world safer. They are experts in online harm that comes in words, pictures, and images. They create services which prevent, protect, and fix online harm. They work 24 seven in real time to keep their clients safe in the digital world. And their mantra is, safety is a culture we create together. Nicola and Sarah, I'm delighted to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. But I want to start with you, Nicola, because we met each other initially a whole decade ago. So just relay that story briefly. Oh, God. At the days of Bill Cullen, we were there at The Apprentice and it was the final and Joanne was being amazing. And thank God, I might say this, that I did recognize as Joanne as being a diamond in the rough. And uh, 10 years ago, she was very young and very bright and very talented. And uh, I'm delighted that things have worked out so well. She deserves every success that she's been having. Yeah, it was kind of interesting because, you know, in fairness, Bill got it right. He's like, Joanne, you're only one person and really you're not scalable. But it always stayed in my head. And I was like, I have to be scalable. And now I am scalable because the Internet has helped me and I can have one too many uh, people and, and, and trainees on my courses. But I thought that was just a nice uh, background story. But Riskai, Riskai is a company that is very off its time with my clients in government and public sector they are almost allergic and repelled by social media. They have this love-hate relationship with it. They know that the public are on social media. It's a gateway to getting them to hear them, to listen to them, to get them to act on their calls to action. But the hate part of it is risk. And public sector are allergic and adverse to risk. And every decision that they make is based on a, a risk assessment. So maybe Sarah will start with you and ask you about about Riskai and 
and what the the software the platform and your people do yeah so um i want to i want to reassure your uh, viewers and the people that are working in those environments that our main purpose um in risk guy is to keep them safe to make them feel safe to keep that social environment safe and to give them the confidence to be online and to use that space which can be a an, an amazing space for talking to a different audience for widening their um their voice and amplifying themselves in terms of issues that they want to get across and they want to speak about so fundamentally we are about keeping that um in in a uh, protected uh, environment for them and we do that by really never allowing that risk to come uh, near them we want them to be preventable up front anything that um get their house in order make sure that they feel like it's a safe environment and then protect them 24 7. we'll track all those conversations we'll watch that space for them and we'll make sure that if there is a risk or something does pop up that we're on it with them we've recognized it we've alerted them to it and we'll use our expertise then to show the way to make it not a risk and to mitigate that away from them that's our that's our purpose in a nutshell and so how does the platform itself identify risk and i know that you also have a, a talent pool of people who are there to understand context when the technology doesn't understand context so the first instance we've built our um our own unique software and that software um, has a very wide aperture it goes out and it collects all content about a business um, whether it be on a social media platform whether it be on a mainstream media platform or whether it be in blogs or forums but in a publicly accessible place on the internet we will go out and gather all information and the crucial difference with us and the part that um, makes us unique is that we'll collect not just information about them in terms of their uh, official tags or their handles online but when people are talking about them and not specifically to them so if i explain that that sounds um much the same thing but when you're writing about something on a social media platform if you're not tagged with your handle so your at risk guy or at um whatever it is you wouldn't necessarily see that unless people like us with our software go out and gather it for you and it's often those conversations that might be a risk so somebody having a conversation effectively behind your back over here and not alerting you to that by not tagging you that could be quite a risky conversation that you want to know about you want to have uh, be proactive about and be able to resolve in any way you can so we do that first we bring those in now the absolute um mirror image of that the perfect part that fits with that is a person being able to um, assess that information so the computer can only go so far it can bring in some information but the context of it the perspective of it um, the understanding of it has to have a human involved to make that crucial difference of understanding if that is risk so somebody saying thanks so much for getting me my wages today and I, a piece of um, tech would recognize that as positive we would recognize that in the context of it and be able to see that possibly it was sarcastic. So a problem for a customer that they would want to understand that there was an issue there and pick up on it. So that. And let me just go to you, Nicola, on that, sorry. And when, when Sarah talks about, you know, even if you're not there, you can listen for conversations. That's a very relevant one because oftentimes we'll have government or public sector agencies who will choose not to go on social but also if they do choose to go on social 
they will choose to broadcast only to push out the messages that they want to push out and they choose not to listen so again this is where you know your software and technology comes in where you can be that really important social listening ear and again just to remind people this is publicly available data this isn't any sort of big brother this is information that citizens have put out knowingly and willingly okay so you can gather up almost like the biggest focus group that is ever going around to see what you know the public think of your new policy new legislation lots of talk at the moment about suggested changes in public health regulations so you're essentially aggregating the big data and then putting context on it and then when you go back to the client are you explaining the risk that maybe is there or the negative sentiment oh joanne you and, and those few words you have just said so many things that matter to us so the why you're on social media it's good to hear that public service are just outputting because maybe when they're using it in that outbound way so let me give you an analogy if it was a football pitch they are playing outbound they're playing to win a goal they're playing to give you information to give you something give themselves the win that's half the pitch the problem with them being on that half of the pitch is they don't even know who's on that pitch with them so if it was a football game they have nobody in defense so even though they're playing attack there's and, and they want to get stuff out there and they're publishing and doing normal everyday things like you publish in a magazine the internet is not the same place because a magazine doesn't talk back to you the internet is a conversation it definitely talks back to you and for that the listening is really important because you have to have your defenses ready every 4000 posts somebody tries to read at 30 seconds a post is 33 hours of reading so the volume of this data, if 4,000 people entered a public service competition, if 4,000 people asked for more information, just to read what they were looking for. And 99% of them may say the exact same thing, but what about the one needle in the haystack that said something really bad or attacked a minister or attacked your boss? You also brought into the public service conversation is that not only they, they're very good at the why, then maybe they're right. Maybe they shouldn't be online. Maybe they shouldn't have an account. That doesn't mean exactly as Sarah pointed out that people aren't talking about them behind their back and that's a really important thing then when you do decide to play defense you've got to know who the players are on the pitch with you you want to know what perspective where they're coming from their motivation to why they're there to what they're doing to why they're doing it and it's really important to never ever ever take a decision in a public service based on social media mob mentality just because 50 people all decided and they've got hundreds of thousands and they're influential does not say they speak for the silent majority under no sort this public is far smarter than we give them credit and what there's nothing worse than seeing a post come into a public servant about a minister for example and you're a minister's a person to you it's the person you share an office with the man you or a woman you talk to every day and they're people to you and online it's just words on, on a digital space but you know it's going to hurt them you don't want to show the minister that you know they could get them fired they could lose their job and if the minister reacts looking at that as a human being and makes a decision that's flawed He'll have done so with no perspective, no understanding who the player was, no understanding what the motivation was. And we won't have any record of whether this was something that's always been there or whether this person is just wanting to be famous and they want to be topical on every issue. So it's really important 
that we understand who the player is if they don't have themselves anonymous, what their motivation is, is it political harm, is it trying to set an agenda, um, whether it's a real customer who has a real concern, you know, maybe their passport is yeah, out of date, nice. maybe it's a birth, de de deaths and marriages, and they want to help or a piece of fact. Mm -hmm. um, we, we also advise people then how to respond. So one of the problems we have is that they see an emotional tweet, it'll come in, you'll, 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 you've worked out who the actor is, why they're on the stage, what their part in the game is. And you don't have to take your advice, we're going to tell you that this person is a citizen that wants to be an influencer and he just wants to be important and see in the world, or this person is genuine, got an issue and it's free speech and we want to have a great democracy, so we allow all conversations out there. We don't have to follow the lead, we just have to hear it and acknowledge we hear it and say, it's complex, we can't make a decision based on this today because we don't have all the facts, we'll come back in a couple of weeks when we get everyone into the, into the room. Because real world shouldn't be based on a mob or a social media uh, uh, post. And the problem for a lot of public servants is public servant is in the service industry and nobody ever comes to them for something nice. Nobody rings up to say thank you. I mean, the one thing that our public service, we should all be down on our hands and knees after this COVID saying thank you. Because when private sector couldn't move and do anything, public sector still have to get out of bed every day and continue to run the country. And they're an amazing set of people. I know we work for a couple of councils and we work for a lot of public service. They've worked 10 times harder than I did. Now, admittedly, I'm getting to step back onto the pitch because they've made it safe and we're all still alive for me to do it. But they have maintained every single service. Revenue have been spectacular. The county councils have been spectacular. There has been amazing people doing amazing work. But we need to step back and say, social media is never going to say thank you to them. It's still, after all that work they've done, if I was to look at the sentiment for any of the public service agencies, it's all negative. And it doesn't have to be like that. And actually, we have the power to help them and show them the pitch and show that if they were a private business, we'd never let that happen to them. We'd tell them where to take their successes. We tell them the data. We work with a lot of councils and we've done incredible work where their sentiment is now plus 30% from nothing. And it's incredibly a testament to their ability to take our data, use their experience and capitalise on all the good work they're doing. It doesn't have to be a negative playing pitch. It's negative because public service haven't come in to participate in a meaningful way. We want public service to be acknowledged and respected and treated as partners, not as somebody to kick. And they need to know how and we can do that. And so it's really important you give us the opportunity to let us help them and show you what everyone else can see because we're every business is trying to learn how to to do this so if i show you what the pitch is then you can see how to participate safely in it so it's not just about risk it's about acknowledging all of us are a part of the conversation and just being silent in it and not listening isn't getting us anywhere either so it's a balance so clearly you can aggregate the big data you can evaluate what's being said. You can add context. And then, Sarah, just as Nicola said, moving the public from a place of negativity to a place of positivity. And is that in the analyzing of the data and then the suggestion of the strategic next move that you as consultants will give to those clients? Yes, so there will be some clients that will um, deal with the information that we've sent to them. So they'll get, um, if it's something that's a risk, they'll get an alert from us in real time, 24 seven. 
Um, if they get that, some clients are quite comfortable uh, dealing with that information themselves. Other clients are not, and they would like our involvement, they'd like our advice and our guidance around that. So we would work with them then to, what, what will we do with this information? Is it going to cause a problem? Do we need to intervene? Do we need to just step back and not intervene, not say anything? Like Nicola was saying, but sometimes it's a very small minority that are making a fuss. So in that instance, we wouldn't get involved. We would just leave that there. And every piece of analytics or data that we have, we can see the beginning of the conversation, conversations, and we can see how it moves along, how it peaks, and how it then dies down and goes away. And that's what happens on the internet. Conversations start, they happen, they go away. If you keep involving yourself in those conversations, you keep those conversations alive, you keep poking the bear, that keeps that conversation and that bubble around of those people involved. So you just want to sometimes take the oxygen out of those things and that's the advice we would give for clients don't get involved take the oxygen out take the audience away and just move on keep doing what you're good at keep putting out all that information that you want to get out there keep determining your voice and your story and the other stuff will just move away eventually um, it, and if it's if it's beyond that if it's something that we need to really get involved in we can do that too we can advocate on their behalf um, just as there are laws of the land just as there are rules around publishing content um in normal offline worlds there are two online and we know all of those rules for all of the platforms and the mainstream media and we can advocate on um, on the behalf of our clients um and and just either move that away if it's broken rules or or do just keep doing good work that they normally do to just make the other stuff go away and is it your view that when a client, and let's think about a, a public sector client who's used the platform for a period of time, let's say six to nine months, do you see a shift in their own attitudes, mindsets, and confidence towards social? Yeah, Joanne, there's a huge transformation because one, what's measured is accountable. And so it's a very safe way for people to have a conversation internally. You don't have to go in and say to somebody, I don't think that was a good tweet. You can go in and show the data and go, the, the data doesn't say this is a good tweet. You don't have enough likes, it wasn't shared enough, it didn't transfer. The other thing that's amazing is real world actions still influence online usually. So if you're running a campaign and you know that, let's just say the, uh, the OPW are running a campaign, well then you should coordinate with all the OPW different Twitter accounts and you should amplify it and you should take the success. But it happens in the real world. People think that magically because you put out a great tweet, everyone's going to magically and organically just retweet it for you. That doesn't happen. But what happens is success breeds success. Because then, you know, because the way we take in the data and we can structure the data, so we take it in as a big bucket, you said, we then put it into every department. So let's just say it's account to council, so it'll be environment, roads, transport, tourism, blah, 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 parks. And we break it out into those buckets so every department can see its own success. So we give at the end of every day, you can literally go onto the screen and you can see how your department is doing versus everyone else. And you can now become challenged to say, well, how did parks get 50 million likes? Oh, well, it's easy for parks because they own all the parks and they do all the fun things. You know, they can claim all the beautiful stuff where we're in roads. There's nothing fun about roads. What do we talk about? But road safety can be quite fun. So your marketing people start to see the content success and they use the analytics to inform what people are interested in talking about road safety or and they're engaged. So we give you the game plan. But the talent is 
we've got the analytics, but you've got the understanding of your organization. And when you match the two together, they become dynamite. And you can do so many amazing things. And, you know, it's like a bucket of water. If the bucket of water is clear and that's neutral sentiment, if, if you pour in white for, for positive sentiment, then the sentiment's obviously going to be positive. If you let black pour in, um, it's going to be negative sentiment. So the trick is to have more neutral and positive sentiment in the game and to control the game. You're not a recipient of this. You are just as much an actor and a player in this game on this pitch. So the game plan we give you allows you to take the good, protect against the bad, and turn the whole organization's attitude. And then that changes public sentiment, which means when people land at your door, they realize you're people. And as people, they can talk to you as a person and not as a somebody to attack. They would never talk to you in the real world the way they talk to you online. And we don't we don't have to accept it and that we make them comfortable that they can use the medium to dictate. So I describe it as if I walked into your office and I smashed in your window, you'd fix it. And yet online, we allow them smash in our windows in the virtual world the whole time. And we go, oh, well, it's free speech. No, it isn't. There are rules, as Sarah said. There is a game plan. There is actions that can be done to go, if you come in and throw a tantrum, I'm not talking to you. Yeah. Now, that doesn't apply for crises where people are in real desperate need. You know, so but you, you raised the Garda Commissioner at one point in a conversation with me recently. And it's a fair point that if you start having to report your 999 calls onto social media, that's not a success. Yeah. The success is talking to a person and being, you know, you don't want social for that action. You want 999 calls in the real world. That's why we put huge technology and huge systems and huge use processes around protecting real life and social needs the same protection it is a plane that people do see as real and we also have one extra problem on top of that joanne in that we have an intergenerational gap so when somebody's 50 i speak with experience when somebody gets to 50 we have had lots of jobs and lots of real world experience of people and we're mammies and we're daddies and we're brothers and sisters and we've lived a long time but we apply that when we're making decision processes so we can use a different perspective. But when you're 20 and you've never had a job and you're still in college and your mommy and daddy are still paying all your bills or you're, the government is supporting you through a, a scholarship or whatever place in the world you find yourself at 20, and there's no judgment, there's no type of person, but you don't have the perspective and the knowledge that I have in those extra 30 years that I've intervened. And social makes us look equal on the plane, you know, one voice, and we all look equal and it's one post and one Twitter account and one whatever, but we're not equal. We're completely unequal because I have a lot more knowledge and experience and social isn't showing that. I don't get an extra star for being 50 on social, you know, and in fact, I probably get discounted because I'm probably told I'm stupid and I don't understand the technology and I'm too old to do with it because what would an old part like me know? And that's kind of where we're at. And so the great thing about perspective of what we can give you is we can go, you have a generational problem. So you need to bring in the 20 year olds into the real room and explain how you got there. And if you shove it down their throats, it'll never work. Just like if I stood in a room and tried to force feed you olive oil, you wouldn't let me get with the spoon near you. So why would you spoon feed that craft to a 20 year old who can't understand it? So we, we have to make age appropriate content and the internet allows us to talk to different age groups in different ways. And that was the brilliance of the way things have been fed to us. We need to use that back out the other way. So it is not one size fit all. It is not one type of harm. It is not one type of risk. It is not one department that sees more risk than others. We're all seeing different pictures. And our job is to tell everybody 
where they are on the pitch and what the pitch in defence looks like. Defend and attack is really important. You know which side you're playing and why you're playing it. So I'm happy that public servants see the danger and haven't rushed there. But I can see huge benefits that we can bring them instantly. Like in six months, if they all want to give themselves a bonus scheme and say, hey, boss, if we get from zero sentiment to plus 30, do I get a rise? I can guarantee you I can get every single public servant a rise if they benchmark themselves to that. It's a really good point because, you know, one question I always get asked is, Joanne, you know, we're on social, but we're frustrated. You know, our boss thinks that, you know, half a million likes is really success. But actually for me and um, trumpeting it out that the biggest win for public sector is public trust. And Absolutely. what is a metric that measures public trust? It's sentiment. And kind of sentiment is, we know what sentiment means. It makes us feel good. People feel good towards you, your brand, your organization, your people. But it's quite intangible in a world. You can't go into your Facebook insights, your Twitter analytics, your Instagram insights, uh, or YouTube studio, and they give you a sentiment analysis. So with sentiment, Sarah, do you think that that is something tangible that your clients use as the North Star of social media success? Definitely, 100%. So I can confidently open up any one of my clients' dashboards and look at it at any time of the day, any time of the night, and see what their sentiment is at that time. So if I look at it from the perspective of if it's 10% negative at any one time, I know that there's one in 10 chance of somebody seeing ne something negative about me in my profile somewhere online. And if it's 90% positive, I know that it's nine in 10 chances of somebody seeing something positive about me. So I can give my client the confidence to say, that little thing you saw over there that seemed like a problem and it's bothered you and um, we've dealt with it, look at that in the context of all the data and your entire profile and have a view of what you look like in context of the whole internet and i can give them that confidence because they can see i can see that i'm you know there's a tiny bit of negativity there but most of it is neutral and most of it's positive and that's what we're trying to get them to see and understand the context and perspective of what their online profile is about and you know what i've just and nicola you love a good analogy right and I've just thought of one was as Sarah was talking, you're actually taking like a pin to the echo chamber bubble and you're bursting it and you're exposing it for what it is. And I loved, I loved that you said, you know, any public servant or politician that is making decisions based on that 1%, that's dangerous for all of us. Correct. Correct. And it's leading to mob mentality in a way that none of us ever envisaged. Like, we're doing real harm to ourselves and we're doing a real injustice. And, and actually, we work for a food client and I know we're talking about public services. This is really important. And when a crisis happened last year in, in the height of COVID, it was ginormous and it hurt them and their jobs and their staff and their staff's family. And it hurt hundreds of thousands of people in the state. And the problem with that is if the buyer of this food product in the supermarket had have followed the social media trend, it would have made a decision on behalf of the silent majority. Because much as we're all on social media, only some voices are being heard, and they're the loud ones. And they're not nearly necessarily very bright voices, or some of them are claiming, because I have a degree in engineering, I'm an expert in food safety. Like, 
how does that work? You know, just because you have an expertise in one field doesn't make you genius. But they had like, you know, 50,000 followers, therefore they're deemed important in social media world. But if the buyer in the supermarket chain hadn't made a decision to follow the mob on social, it would have cost at least 2,000 jobs. It would have cost 350 million of a turnover to go down the tubes if the buyer had to follow the mob. But instead, the buyer went, no, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let the products continue in and the public can vote with their feet because the public are intelligent. And we don't we know that hurting our own civil servants and our own public service and our own you know, councils only hurts us. And it is frustrating that as a democracy that we can't do everything ourselves. You know, that way you have to rely on other people to do it and nobody can do it to the standard I'm doing it. But, but, but we get what you know, we, we now give you a rule book that says, I tell you what, we're going to stay on the pitch with them, but we're not going to allow them to harm us. And we're not going to allow minorities to drive, you know, the tail to wag the dog. We're going to take our voice and let the public decide. And if the public do it in an election box, because the only place that's left to have a true democratic voice right now, unhindered and with nobody trying to bully it, is that ballot box. And, and that is even a generation issue now because social is swinging one generation one way, older people are going the other way, we're all lost. And the only fix for all this is to remember that real world trumps social. And that if you wanna to talk to customers and if you wanna to talk to the public, then talking down to them or talking at them on social isn't going to win you any trust. You said it yourself, but you can, you can, be, you can bring people with you and you can stop people beating you up on social. And that is really important. So the aim is to bring people with you by being authentic and honest. And you're allowed to make mistakes. Nobody says there's a rule when you get a job in the public service that you have to be perfect. And the idea that somehow as an individual that when you sign a contract to work for the state, you suddenly become infallible, it's just rubbish. We make mistakes and we're not gonna fix it on, or, or be accountable to social. We're gonna be accountable in the real world. And we can't allow the belief that just because we did something wrong, if you put something under a microscope, of course, it's going to look terrible. Like, you know, a worm looks lovely as he's walking along by you on your pavement or a mouse. And if you put him under a microscope, it's quite frightening. So mm -hmm. anything put under the microscope on social is going to be frightening. And it's there to scare us. And when we're scared, we make, we're in fear. And when we're in fear, we, we don't make good decisions. Nobody does. And... And, and badly informed decisions by public servants are just as likely if they listen to social as, as any other individual in the state. You know, we cannot allow social to put a microscope on things and then go, everybody look here, while all the other bad stuff is happening that we were trying to deal with, but dealing with it took slow and it took meetings and, you know, it didn't change instantly because it's black and white social. So all I had to do was tweet it as though, and therefore it is, you know, it's not okay. And one of the, the great examples that we're living through right now is Ireland's COVID vaccination rate at in excess of 93%. And if we took what you were just saying and listened to the minority, which are the anti-vax movement, would any of us got vaccinated? And really, you know, we were taking this on for the first time. And the digital communications, I always say, was the antidote in a world where we didn't have a vaccine. And it was the availability of that mass, but also targeted messaging that convinced uh, a knowing and a willing public to take that truth information and make, make a decision for themselves.
Can I tell you that at the beginning of this, I texted Paul Reed and a really crucial piece that I sent him, and it's really important that everybody remembers this, it's the small actions and behavior. In the beginning, you'll remember that at seven o'clock, the COVID statistics were coming out, but the six o'clock news didn't have them. And I sent him a text and within two days, he rectified getting the results out for the six o'clock news. Because in the absence of the data, social media was speculating. And when you miss the six o'clock news, generationally, my age group and the people dying upwards from 50 upwards, we're setting the agenda. So six o'clock news sets the agenda and people my age will turn to six o'clock news as a trusted news source, RTE played a blinder. And so what happened was they brought back the COVID times because I sent him a note saying, you are seeing all this uh, making up stuff on social media because you haven't met the six o'clock news. The, the, the vacuum was there and the vacuum was shut down because when we got the news to the people and we trusted the people with the facts on the six o'clock news and the nine o'clock news, it took the air out of all the social media commentators because they had nothing yes. and nothing to talk about. And then they could only talk about the news. They couldn't set the news. And the gap of setting the news was really important for them. So what's really important to remember, the other thing that Paul Reed did that is spectacular. And again, I sent my pennies worth um, into him by text because I'd frequently chat to Paul because I think he's been outstanding and I just like to recognize him that it, our success for 92% is because he asked people exactly like I was talking about the buyer letting the people decide. Mm. When you put the facts to the people, when you're honest with the people, when you're authentic with the people, social media doesn't matter with them. And so people work together to save their neighbours, to save their granny, to save their school teacher. They, they, we've adopted this because as human beings, we're incredibly authentic. And in Ireland, we're very lucky because we're small enough to all be one connected to each other. So what's really important is the two things that Paul Reid has been is he dealt with the issue and he closed the social media vacuum down and he went out and asked the people. So he asked the nurses to come in and be vaccinators. He asked anybody that's ever injected anything to come in. And we have delivered world class. I mean, we have beat the whole world. Mm. Because in the real world, not on social, we didn't all go tweet a neighbor and get him, get him to come for a vaccine. We didn't, you know, we asked him to knock door to door. We asked the postman, we asked the guardie, we asked communication lines in the real world is what's delivered 93%. It wasn't his online campaigns. In fact, the only reason that was there to, was to give comfort, but the real work happened with your GP phoning you to get in for a vaccine, your uh, hospitals telling you to come now, the, the ability for the HSE to use digital in a different way. They brought in Salesforce and they put in a vaccine system and interface. That's where digital was used to good. And digital and social media are two different things. And he, he, he used social media to not engage. So he didn't make any, no news ever came from social media. No press release ever went out from the HSE and social media. The news went out through mainstream and was backed up by social media, but the news always came from a trusted source, RTE, the Independent, the Times, the Examiner. The news went to trusted media and then to social. Not, I've got a breaking news story, let me put it out on social media. It's rubbish. You can't put it out on social media. Intergenerationally, I'm not going to see it. I don't look at my Twitter account. I don't look at my Facebook account. If I'm relying on Facebook to bring me critical, life-threatening news, then I'm in trouble. The real news comes from a trusted source. And we have to recognize that the main uh, drivers of social media content is still mainstream media. So the news will break on RTE and then social media will write it. So those people who leak stories 
get nowhere. But if they leak it to the journalist and then he puts it into mainstream media, then it goes everywhere. And then we all talk about it. So Sunday newspapers usually set the social media agenda for the week. So the Sunday Independent, the Mail on Sunday, um, the Times, the Sunday Business Post. They're all really important because they drive the following weeks. But you can see that when you look at the data, because we can pinpoint every story back to its origin. And sometimes its origin is probably a phone call to the journalist. And when it's social, we can see its origin because it's in public. They want it to be seen. They've been waving and shouting for ages and nobody took the story up. And so the other problem for us is that journalists have become quite lazy and that they're looking to social for their stories and they've lost their ability to, because they're time poor, to connect with the real world where the relationships were usually drove the story. So we've biased stories being driven by social media too, and that's not helpful. So you're dead right that our vaccine program and our public service have been the true winners during this. They need to take a bow and need to get out of the way now and they let private business come back and thrive again. So we need the small businesses back out working. We need society because we've come 90% so uh, private sector or public sector has taken control and we needed 50-50. You know, we need to export, we need to get money out, we need to get money in to drive, you know, only money in this country funds the public service. So we're not exporting, then we're not winning. So we need that balance back. And at the moment, it's just a bit skewed. And as we try and pull it back, it's going to be hard for public service to relinquish this yeah. power. And they will be beaten up on social for it. And it'll frustrate people no end as it's very slow to let people go back being free-range chickens again. But we will get there and we can do it safely. We just have to, like the 93% got vaccinated, we have to trust each other. And we will. And we do. And we're amazing. And you should have risk time. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) We've been a comfortable circle. We started this conversation talking about how to mitigate risk. Risk. We've kind of ended the conversation talking about how if you listen to the uh, well-informed larger public and make sure that you're getting your truth out, then you can you can change perceptions and you can ultimately win trust. But what is your final kind of lesson or takeaway for somebody who is totally terrified of social and public sector? Um, should they be, or is it just, just time to get off the fence, embrace it and use it for what it is? Well, I'd just say, you need the right advice, you need to understand the pitch you're on, and you need to let us empower you because you're going in blind and what you believe may be the truth may not be the truth. And the perspective you're seeing is not the perspective your colleague sitting next to you is because the algorithms are driving you all completely different information. So your own telephone and your own computer are feeding me totally different information. So Sarah and myself, we're in two different, she's in London, I'm in Dublin. We're seeing two different media streams day in and day out. And we talk through every decision and we even look at social to understand that we do understand that we're both seeing the same picture. And once we agree what the platform is and what the pitch we're on is, once we understand that, then we can make informed decisions. So we can advise you, teach you, empower you and secure you into this space. And we can mind you every step of the way. We're not there to make decisions for you. We're there to make sure that the information you have in front of you informs you as part of your data set. So, and it's not going away. It's not going anywhere. I wouldn't ignore it. We, uh, we've lots of people saying, well, I don't care. I operate in the real world. I don't care what they say about me behind my back. And that is the risk is that you're making that decision, but the public mightn't be making that decision. So let's just be sure that there is real harm that comes up and there is real needs the public do put there, but it's discerning them 
from the, the players and you need to know which one to listen to. And the only people who are going to tell you that is us because we'll be able to show you. Here's the pitch and here's the players. Here's the form. Here's the coach. Here's the leader. And we can then tell you when you give us something you want to put out there, we can tell you whether it's going to be safe or not safe. So that's it. Are we closer to being safe or are we further away? And with risk guidance, closer to. Well, listen, Sarah and Nicola, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I have linked uh, all the links and your personal uh, LinkedIn uh, connections in the blog post associated with this show. Um, and guys, definitely do check it out. And as I always say, if you're if you're if you're not there, you can't influence. And even if you're not listening, people are talking about you. But ladies, uh, wishing you many success and thanks very much. Thanks, John. Level up your social media skills by taking our diploma in social media, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code SOCIALMEDIA20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. We've had a great initial response to our new social media bootcamp taking place in February 2022. I'm going to teach you live over 15 hours about the top 10 tactics that you should deploy right now on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok. And if you want to elevate your social media skills and knowledge, this is the perfect opportunity. So go ahead, jump over to publicsectormarketingpros.com and check out the agenda. And if you've got any questions, drop me a note. Apart from this weekly show, there's lots of other free resources that we have for you at Public Sector Marketing Institute. We have our blog, we have our e-sign, we have our Facebook group, and we're also always developing lots of other knowledge products. Our current ebook, How to Master Digital Marketing in Public Sector, Out with the Old and In with the New, is now available on our website. Go ahead and jump over to publicsectormarketingpros.com forward slash digital marketing. You'll also be offered the opportunity to have a 30-minute career guidance call with me after you get your download. So public sector pros from across the world are joining me. Uh, we had Brooke from North Dakota. We had Alan from Central uh, USA. We've had Michael from South Wales. And really what we're doing on those calls is really establishing where you are now in your digital comms skill set journey, but also your participation within your organization and where they need to go. So share that resource with a public sector pro you know. And as always, I am really grateful for the reviews and the ratings on YouTube and also on the podcast channel. So if you haven't already, please subscribe. But thanks as always for tuning in. I do appreciate your time your attention, your feedback, and your engagement with me on social. And I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Public Sector Marketing Show. This episode has ended, but your digital journey can continue. Head over to publicsectormarketingpros.com to access resources and links mentioned in today's show and to connect with Joanne and her team. Until the next time, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. 